Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to um, recognize the diversity and the beauty of the body of Christ among us. Uh, this last week, uh, from Thursday through yesterday uh, afternoon, um, I was in San Jose. Uh, I've been um, on the search committee for the new conference superintendent. So that's what we were doing at the San Jose airport. And as we were there, we were talking at dinner last night about, people were asking me about our church, because I'm new on the board, and they're asking me about our church and all of that, and as I was describing you to them, I got really emotional. Now, part of that is my old age, but the other part is just, there's this really deep sense of love and respect I have for you. I, I've told you this many times, in, in many ways, and God understands my heart in this, in many ways, Hope Covenant Church has saved me. Um, not save me eternally, only Jesus does that, but save me, my ministry, my, my um, ability to serve as a pastor. And, and I was just so grateful to recognize that along with these seven deacons and our seven elders and our six staff people, that this group of people is here to serve you. And uh, the response and the love and the respect that we get from you is not seen in very many places. I get calls a lot from my friends all over the country, covenant pastors, and they want to call, call and complain a little bit about their church. I've never done that. Now, I could if I wanted to, but I've never done that. And, and it's because you're such a wonderful people, and I, I just thank God for each and every one of you and uh, for these seven new deacons to serve with us. So uh, that's just my um, introduction this morning. I just feel really blessed to be a part of this church and to be your pastor. So welcome to week number two in our vision series that we've entitled My Ebenezer. Last week we discovered that Samuel uh, put a pile of stones together between two cities similar to this, only the stones were much bigger. And, uh, and those stones were to help the children of Israel remember. Remember what God had done. It was a marker to remind God's people that he was in their lives to help. In fact, the word Ebenezer means uh, God is my help. God reminded them that he was there to restore them, to re remind them that his faithfulness is everlasting and that his eternal covenant was this promise to every single person that I will be with you always. From Genesis to Revelation, the testimony is God says, I will always be with you. I'll never let you go. So you are forgiven. That's your Ebenezer. You are desired. You have a new direction. You have a new path that will lead you to a life of meaning and substance and, and a, a life that really matters with God as your guide. Now, Samuel's Ebenezer stone uh, has its modern-day equivalent in what are called trail carns. How many know about that? How many of you are hikers? Okay, a few of you. Trail carns are rocks, uh, C-A-I-R-N, are rocks stacked to kind of indicate to hikers that this is the right path. This is the way to go. You know, keep following this way, this direction. Now, trail carns or ducks, trail ducks they're called to some, uh, are not a destination. It's not, okay, finally we arrived, you know. It's not a destination. It's a, not even a resting place. A, a trail carn is, is a um, mile post. It's a reminder. And it's a reminder of a couple things. It says, okay, this is the right way. This is the right path. 
And the second thing it reminds you is this. Others have gone this way before you. Others have come before you. And, and many times when you see a, a trail car and you'll put a, another rock on it, so it might be a lot of rocks there, and it's saying, okay, someone's been before you, and this is the right path. This is the right trail. That's what an Ebenezer is. Now, last week we talked about our first Ebenezer being the Bible, right? The Word of God. Um, this book is our message that says, this is the way to go. This is the way to live. Uh, this book that we've had in this form, at least, for 1,600 years, this book is our trail guide. It's our trail carn, our trail duck, our Ebenezer. It says to us constantly, this is the way to go. This is the correct path. And many, many have followed here, have gone here before. This is what, so we looked at uh, the Bible is the Word of God as our first Ebenezer uh, last Lord's Day. And today we're going to look at a second Ebenezer. And our second marker is what I would call living in community or being connected to the body of Christ. Being a part of and standing shoulder to shoulder with other believers. The body of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. Now, here's how Paul described this reality, this Ebenezer of community. He described it in 1 Peter chapter 2. We don't have it up on the uh, screen, but you'll have it in your notes. Or, excuse me. You'll have it on the screen, but it's not in your sermon notes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 from the NIV. This is what the word of the Lord says. As you come to him, Jesus Christ, as you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by men, by chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering a spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying here, or excuse me, what Peter is saying here, is that this Jesus Christ is called the living stone, the living stone. He is the cornerstone, it says in Romans. He is the cornerstone. And every one of us, as believers, if you're a follower of Christ, every one of us is a living stone connected to the living stone. So the importance of that passage is that we need to be connected to Jesus, of course. We talked about that last week. We need to be vitally connected, vitally linked. Uh, like it says in John 15, we need to be taking our source of life, the vine and the branches, from him. So we need to be vitally connected to Jesus Christ. But as we are vitally connected to him, we are connected to each other as well. Living stone after living stone after living stone. We need to be connected to Jesus and we need to be connected to each other. God is building a spiritual house. That's the church of Jesus Christ from that. In fact, in Romans 12, 5, it says this. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. Isn't that neat? Each of us needs all this. So here's what I want you to do. This is interactive. Um, I want you to turn to somebody near you and say, you need me. Okay? Now turn to somebody else and say, I need you. Okay, we just had like six wedding invitations, you know, uh, proposals, uh, but that's all right. Or to put it another way, why is it that we need each other? And I want to answer that question today. Why do we need each other? Why can't we just be uh, a Lone Ranger Christian? You know, why can't we just kind of go off in the sunset? How many people have you ever heard, maybe you've said it before in your life, have you, I don't need the church, I just follow God on my own. Well, 
That's a nice idea. The problem is the Bible, which is our first marker, the first thing that tells us who we are and what we are, says that's not possible. You can't have the head of Christ, Jesus Christ, separated from the body of Christ. We don't do that. You know, we are connected to each other, connected to the living stone and connected to each of us, the living stones as well. So here's why we need each other. The first thing is this. I need others to walk with me. Okay? I need, let me make it very personal. I need you to walk with me. On my Christian journey, on my path, on my pilgrimage through life, I need you to walk with me. It's an odyssey. It's a walk. Uh, Early in our denomination, uh, I think most of you have heard that we came out of Swedish Lutheranism, and uh, when the Swedes emigrated to the United States, they got in little clusters of Lutheran churches, but that wasn't satisfying, so they started their own church. And the church they started was the Evangelical, the Swedish Evangelical Mission Covenant Church of America. Now we're just the ECC, Evangelical Covenant Church. And that group of people, most of them emigrants, would come across each other when they'd see each other on the road or in the marketplace or at the job. When they'd see each other, they would always ask the same question. This is beautiful. They would ask this question, how goes your walk with Jesus? (laughs) Can you imagine in 1860, these immigrants speaking in Swedish, seeing each other on the road and asking that enormously important question, how goes your walk with Jesus? I wish we were freer in our society to say that question. Of course, you can ask it any time. Some people might think you're weird. But the fact is, it's an amazing question. How goes your walk with Jesus? We need to be involved in each other's walks. We need to walk together. I remember um, so clearly, um, my 50th birthday uh, was in 1998, and I had been out of the ministry. Those of you who are new, I had a gambling addiction, and I, had to, I was, I was um, taken out of my, my credentials were removed uh, while I was getting help and getting uh, counseling. And during that time, I had my 50th birthday, and I was feeling pretty bad about myself. You know, here the ministry of my first 20 years, you know, it's, it's like I felt like I had destroyed it, and I was never going to be able to be a pastor again, and I just felt pretty bad about myself. And Sherry, without me knowing it, contacted many of our, my former churches and our friends from all over the country. And uh, starting in August, we started getting these cards addressed to me. And Sherry tried to very, you know, she's pretty good at sneaking. And she tried to sneak these cards out of the mail. And she collected them and put them in this big basket. And on my birthday, she plopped this hundreds of cards from all over the country, some from around the world. And she plopped them in front of me and said, this is what people think about you. Because I didn't think very much of myself. And we went through those together. It was amazing. And, it was, and here, here's what many of those cards said. Pastor Dwayne, when you were our pastor, you walked with us during really difficult times. So here's what we're telling you. We're going to walk with you. In your hard time, in your time, they didn't say in your stupid time, but that's exactly what it was. In your hard time, we're going to walk with you. We need each other to walk with each other. We, need, we can't do this alone. I mean, you know, even... Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, you know. Might have not been much, but he had Tonto. Uh, You know, the castaway Christians, no such thing. You know, you're not going to have your best friend being a volleyball by the name of Wilson. It doesn't work that way, right? 
you know, no Sherpas where we live and with yaks and meditate on a higher being. That's not who we are as Christians. We are called to be in community. We are called to be connected. We are called to travel on the journey together. Listen, I need you and you need me. There's an ancient Zambian proverb that goes like this. When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. Life is not a hundred-yard dash. It's a marathon. And I want my life to count. And in order for my life to count, I need you to walk with me. Write this down in your sermon notes. Community is God's answer to loneliness. Community is God's answer to loneliness. When you stumble, when you fall away, you need somebody that loves you enough to walk with you. I mean, I, I take my walk with Christ very seriously, and I know many of you do too, but I'll be very honest with you. I can't do this alone. When I got in trouble was when I tried to walk alone. That's those years that I was gambling. I was doing it alone. I was secretive. I lied to my secretary. I lied to my wife. I went off to the casino by myself. It was all being secret, being alone. It doesn't work. We need each other. We need to walk with each other. And to experience God's, what the Bible declares in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah, where God, we experience God's furious love. Now, that's not angry. It's just His overwhelming love. We need to experience that love together as God's family. So, um, that's the first reason. We need each other to walk through life. The second thing is this. I need others to work with me. Okay? Ephesians 2.10. God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. Isn't that great? We need each other to accomplish the work of the ministry. Now, in a very easy sense, I'm talking about working like vacuuming the carpet, cleaning the toys in the nursery, helping with physical things. No, that's good. That's all good. But more than that, I'm talking about we need to stand shoulder to shoulder doing the work of ministry together. There's a wonderful story. Uh, many of you are familiar with it in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, this is after Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Uh, they were going through the desert, and they encountered an enemy. And one of their arch enemies throughout the, uh, their history was the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were a wicked uh, people, a very vicious people. They, one of their normal things that they did was child sacrifices. So uh, the Israelites got into a row with the Amalekites, and they had this big war, this big battle. And the Lord promised Moses, he said, Moses, as long as you stand up on a hill where all of your people, the soldiers can see you, stand up on the hill and raise your staff high. And as long as everybody can see Moses standing with his staff high, he said, I promise you that you'll win the victory, that you'll, you'll be winning the battle, you'll be winning the war. It was a massive thing. I was talking about hundreds of thousands of people fighting. So it was something you couldn't even imagine today. So this was going on and, and Moses said, okay, I'll do it. He said, I can do this, you know. And Moses is the kind of guy that often would say, you know, I can, I can do this alone. <laughs> you know, I, I can really do this alone. And so Moses is up there, and it's awesome. In the first hour, it's awesome. And then his arm starts flagging, and it starts drooping. And the battle starts turning. And the Amalekites start winning, and it's bad. And so along comes two of his buddies, Aaron, his brother, and her, another leader. And they came along, and they grabbed Moses' arm, and they just kind of held it. They helped him hold his arm up. 
We need each other. Uh, a few years ago, um, I made reference to this passage, and one of the men in our church came to me afterwards, and he said, he said, I'll be Aaron for you. Uh, whatever you need. You know, I, I can't preach, but whatever you need. If you, you need something, if you need somebody to hold your arm up, if you need somebody to help you, I'll be, in fact, that person, I won't say whose name is, but that person was standing up here in front of you today. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be Aaron for you. We need each other. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better than one because they get more done working together. I tried to think of how to illustrate what it means to work together. Part of the illustration was as Corey led us through the rubrics of commissioning our deacons. But I want to show you another picture of what working together looks like in a biblical way. Let's take a look at this. Kind of abrupt, but uh, you get the idea. That clip goes on forever, so I told Ryan, let's cut half of it. So, but you get the idea. We do this together. I, a couple of things about that clip. By the way, that was uh, from the movie Witness uh, with Harrison Ford back in the mid-80s. Uh, great uh, movie, but that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ working together. Did you notice how the little boys were learning how to hammer? Okay. See, every Sunday, we, over here on this your left side of the sanctuary, in the first service on the right side of the sanctuary. Our children and our teenagers are learning how to hammer. Not wood, but they're learning how to walk with Jesus. And we, we do this together. We teach generation to generation. The other thing I loved about that was when the one guy, and if you know the movie, you know that he was kind of the uh, protagonist. The one guy handed down the lemonade to Harrison Ford. And you know what I thought of when I saw that? I thought of communion. You know, we're sharing together. You know, the body and blood of Christ, we're sharing uh, what God is doing. We need each 
other, to work with each other. So when I see this clip, I think of uh, back on, uh, in October, we had over 100 people that came here to be the church. And I remember standing outside, taking a picture of this big group of people together, and then watching them just go into Chandler and be the church. And, and I think about um, every Easter, when we set up Easter, whether it's at Tumbleweed or ACP, when we do these huge outdoor events, I think of 100 people that come at 6 in the morning to set up chairs and set up tents and do all of that. I just see everybody working together because they know it matters. And they know that, you know, when I do this, when I help set up a chair on Easter morning, then I know in a few hours, somebody in this audience that never goes to church anytime, they're going to raise their hand and say, I give my heart to Jesus Christ. Does that matter or not? We work together. We do this together. We have our elders meetings where seven elders and the staff meet together to guide this ship that we call Hope Covenant Church. We do these things. We serve you. We own mission trips to the Navajo, a mission trip we're going to Rocky Point in March. We've gotten to mission trips in Colombia and Thailand and India. We do this together. We have a ministry fair coming up on February the 9th where you can say, okay, this is how I want to serve the church. Write this down in your notes. Community is God's answer to fatigue. Community is God's answer to fatigue. We were, uh, yesterday afternoon, um, the last part of the day, uh, our last session was to vote on the conference superintendent. I can't tell you who it is yet because he has to accept and it has to go to the executive board. But So we had these two candidates that we were wrestling with and um, before we did, and we had a time of prayer because we wanted God's person, not our best idea. And one guy raised hand, and we we're all sharing our thoughts and everything. He said, you know what? I'm glad that I don't have to make this decision on my own. <laughs> I'm glad that I have 12 brothers and sisters, uh, four of us are pastors, eight are lay people throughout the conference. I'm glad that I have 12 people to make this decision because we need to work together. I need people who will love me and work with me and stand beside me as a community of faith. Listen to Galatians 6.10. Every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith, starting with the household. The King James Version says the household of believers. We start by serving in the household of believers. I need people to walk with me and I need people to work with me. The next thing is this. I need others to watch out for me. I need others to watch out for me. I need people who will defend me, who will protect me, who will encourage me, who will hold me accountable. I need others to watch out for me. There's a wonderful word in the Greek language, and it, uh, it's paraclete, and the word is used often uh, to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So the Holy Spirit is our paraclete, and what it means literally is that the Holy Spirit has your back. <laughs> He's watching your back. You know, if you're fighting the enemy and you're struggling and all of that, the Holy Spirit says, listen, I've got your back. I'm with you in this. I'm in this battle with you. I've got my sword, sword drawn, and I'm with you in this battle, man. Let's go. Let's do this. And that, that word, but here, here's, the, here's the thing that we need to know. We, together, we need to be paracletes to each other. We need to say, I've got your back when things aren't going well. When you're in a struggle, I'm with you. And we need to be so in love with each other that we hold each other accountable. Uh, did you know that the Bible's very clear about this, that we're not supposed to judge people outside the family of faith? 
You know, we really love doing that, don't we? It's real easy to take pot shots. Pot shots. Take pot shots at the Muslims, take pot shots at the kids that have their pants around their hips and have all these, you know, we take pot shots at all the people outside the faith. You know, no, no. The Bible says you don't judge them, you love them. It's not your job to judge them, it's your job to love them. Here's, here's the deal. It's your job to judge those inside the body of Christ. Now, not in a sh- harmful or shameful way, but it's our job to look out for each other. Do you have my back? Because I want to have your back. I want to be able to love you so well that when you get off the path, when you get away from the Ebenezer, from that trail carn, when you're going off the edge, when you're moving away, I want to be able to come up and say, you know, that's not right. I love you too much to just let you drift away. Too many t- churches that you go to, uh, somebody just kind of gets off the beaten path and they disappear. Nobody does anything. Now, we, we're not that kind of a people. If you get off the beaten track, we're going to come after you. You may not respond to us, but we're going to come after you. I'll tell you why. Because we've got each other's backs. We need to have each other's backs. So I, um, at Midwinter Conference in 1990, uh, it was in Denver, Colorado, um, and if you remember kind of the time frame, February of 1990, we'd lost Tyler in October of 1989. So just a few months later, he, our 10-year-old son that was killed. And so I was still struggling. I went to midwinter not because I wanted to get filled spiritually, but because I just wanted to get away from the sadness in my house. Isn't that lame? I mean, yes, it is. You can say that. And, but that's what I did, and that was the truth of it. And I remember staying in my room, and one of my good friends, Mick Murphy, um, knew I was in my room, and he knocked on the door, and he said, uh, Dwayne, you going to come to the meeting? I said, no, nope, I'm just going to stay up here and watch hockey. Well, I hate hockey, but, you know, it was on television. And uh, so, so he said, you know what, Dwayne, I, I, you know, we've prayed for you about this. We've struggled with you over this. We loved you through this. But you know what? You know, it's, it's time that you let God take care of this for you. And Mick, physically, now he was a big man, I'm a big man, he physically pulled me off of my bed and down to my knees. And he prayed over me. And he prayed with me. See, I I need somebody to watch my back. I need somebody that when I'm off the trail, he's also the one that when I was gambling, he said, are you all right? You seem to be weird or different. Well, I, I, of course, I denied it, but that's exactly what was happening. But we need somebody that says, I love you enough to say no. You're not doing that. You're not going to have an affair with that woman. No, you're not going to do that to your family. I'm going to stand in the gap. If I have to, I'll drive in your park. I'll, dro- I'll park in your driveway and, and sit there until you make a different decision. I love you too much. We need to cover each other's backs. Now, as a staff, as leadership, as your pastors, as elders, as deacons, we stand at the ready to do that. Now, you say, well, but I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Well, you know, get over it. <laughs> you, know, you know, people that say, I don't want anybody telling me what to do are usually very self-centered. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, obey your spiritual leaders. I know that doesn't sound very fun. Obey your spiritual. Now, it doesn't say obey means, you know, go wash the toilet. No, it says, when I say thus saith the Lord, obey that. Okay, that's what it means. So it says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. So you think it's hard for you to listen to me preach and have to do what I tell you to do preaching-wise? You think that's hard? I'll tell you what's hard. To recognize that I and the other staff and the elders have accountability. We have to watch over your souls. And we're accountable to God for that. You want a hard job? You want a job that's no thanks? That's it. 
We have to cover for each other. There, there was this time, there was this time that when the first church I served, I was just a young pastor. I had, didn't have a clue what I was doing, and, uh, but it was fun. And this one Sunday, in those days, this was in 1978, in those days we had a choir. Remember that in the old days? Choir loft. And over, I sat in a chair over here. It was kind of like a king's throne chair. It was really cool. And, and so, and we had the choir. And there was this one woman who was going to sing a solo that day after the choir anthem. So when the choir anthem was finishing up, this woman had gone to the restroom and had accidentally gotten her dress and her robe tucked into her girdle. Now, okay, some of you young people are going, what's a girdle? Believe me, it was one of the most fun garments that ever was created. Yeah. One time my mother spanked me with a girdle. I still have scars from that. You know, buttons and things going all over the place, smacking me all. So girdles are awesome. If you don't know what they are, look it up. Uh, Google it, you know. So, so she has her dress and her robe stuck in her girdle. And I'm sitting over there and I'm just, you know, how, what a courageous man I am. I'm just bad. I'm, God help me. I don't... <laughs> I have no idea what to do here. Thankfully, one woman in the choir came down and just gently kind of tugged on her and kind of straightened it out and, and, and went back to and, and We need to cover each other's backsides sometimes. Okay? We need to cover each other all the time, but we need to cover each other. We do. We need each other. We have blind spots. So, so who's watching your back spiritually? Uh, who's watching your back spiritually? Um, last summer, uh, when we were gone for our sabbatical for 10 weeks, uh, we asked Beth Sanders to stay at our house. And basically, here's what we were asking of Beth. Would you, would you watch out for our stuff, right? Would you keep an eye on our stuff, our cars, our, our, our house, our yard? You know, would you, would you keep an eye on our stuff? That's basically what we were asking her to do. And she was very gracious in doing that. But how much more important would it be to ask this question? of someone. Would you keep watch over my soul? Would you, would you, would you cover my back? You know, when I'm, when I'm going off the trail, would you say something to me? Don't, don't think that you're intruding. I'm giving you permission. Please say something. When I have failed to notice the Ebenezer and the trail carn and I'm walking over here, would you please come over and tell me to get back on the trail? Would you do that for me? We need to watch each other's backs. Write this down. Community is God's answer to defeat. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, If one person falls, another can reach out and help. But people who are alone, when they fall, are in real trouble. I need others to watch out for me. Next, I need others to weep with me. We are not to face crises alone. We need each other. I, I, remember, when, um, I remember when our uh, son was killed. The, the day that he was hit by the car, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Uh, so we were at the hospital waiting and praying. And, um, and after we got there, of course, the word spread in our church, uh, Lakewood Covenant Church. And within an hour, there were over 100 people crammed in the emergency room. At, what was the name of that hospital? St. Anthony's Hospital in Denver. And they finally had to find a room for us, but here's what happened. No one came to the hospital with a declaration or a word or anything else. They just came with their Bibles and their prayer pads, you know, said, okay, we're here. 
How can we pray for you? And they just prayed, and they prayed. We, 2013, you guys, um, it's been a rough year for us. Uh, baby Jack uh, went to heaven, was it in February? Yeah. Um, August was a terrible month. Um, Cindy Barton died. Mike George died. Trey Bell died. Um, uh, yesterday, Ron went to be with the Lord. Uh, so we've cried a lot this year. We've wept a lot. Uh, we've grieved a lot. But you know what? We did it together. We did it together. I, I was at the hospital when Jack was born, and the number of people and the number of prayers from everywhere that was there, it was unbelievable. There's this sense of holiness. In the midst of a tragedy, there was a sense of holiness. We need each other. We need to weep with each other. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who, are, who weep. Write this down. Community is God's answer to despair. Every Sunday, we have an altar team up here. Uh, some of you hear us repeat that every Sunday and you don't really, you've never been up here and that's okay. Uh, this is for a time when people need someone to pray for them, someone at times to weep with them, sometimes to rejoice with them. You're always welcome to come and to receive that kind of prayer, that kind of help. There's one last reason uh, we need each other and it's this. I need others to witness with me. Sometimes... Um, and it hasn't, hasn't happened that much in this church, but in other churches, um, there's been this sense that we need to do something and to bear witness to the community. And, and so I, I get everybody all fired up, and I'm, I'm the general of the army, and the lieutenants are, and colonels are there, and everybody's ready. Come on, let's go, let's go. And you go out to witness, and you look behind you, and where did everybody go? You know, where did they go? One thing I love about Hope Covenant Church is you take this idea of witnessing, bearing witness to who Christ is in you very seriously. And for that, I'm thankful. I'll tell you why. The world is watching. And the world is listening. And often they don't know what they're listening for. They just know that there has to be something that is better than what their life is. There has to be some meaning, some purpose in life. They've tried religion. They've tried a lot of things but there has to be something more. So they are watching you. They are listening to you. They may not even know you're a Christ follower. Can I say this? And this may sound harsh, but I think you know my heart in this. If, if where you work, if no one knows that you're a Christ follower, shame on you. Now, I'm not talking about being a bad employee and, and getting up on a soapbox and talking. I'm not talking in private conversations. People should know that you love them so much that they're asking you Why? Why do you love me? Why do you care for me? Why did you tell me you're going to pray for me? We need to bear witness to the love of Jesus together. Be ready to share your story. Everybody has a story of how you came to faith in Christ. Everyone does. The blind man is the most ignorant man that ever came to Christ. He had nothing going for him. He had no education. He had nothing. And when he, gave, when he was healed of his blindness by Jesus, they asked him, what happened? And he said, I don't know, but I can tell you this. I was blind a minute ago, now I can see. That's your story. Tell your story. Figure out how to tell your story. Tell people what happens here on Sundays. We, the, most of the growth that we find in our church is from you inviting somebody to come with you to worship. 
That's the people that come to Christ. That's the people that come to our church. What happens here on Sundays is holy ground. Invite people to that. Going on mission trips to Columbia, to the Navajo, to Rocky Point, showing up on Wednesday you want to see something amazing, show up on a Wednesday night about 6.30 and watch what happens with our teenagers. Our teenagers come here and along with all of uh, Pastor Brian's coaches, uh, Brian, Mikey, and Ryan and all the coaches are here to help these kids and point, say, there's the path. There's the trail, Karn. There's the Ebenezer. It's the way to go. It's the word of God. It's the, it's the way that will, will not get you off of the path and into a place what you, where your life won't matter. We're telling our kids constantly this message. What you do today, how you behave at church, at school, at your home, what you do today will influence who you are 20 years from now. Get it right. <laughs> Do it right now because what you do today, if you get involved in drugs, if you get involved in alcohol, what you do today will affect what you are 20 years from now. Get it right. John 13, 35 says it this way. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The world will never know about Jesus' love if you scold them. The world will never know about the love of Jesus if you shame them and say, you shouldn't be a Muslim. You shouldn't be a homosexual. You shouldn't be this. The world will never change. They'll only change by the love of Jesus. And the only way that that's going to be delivered is through you. It's through you. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the carriers of Christmas. We are the carriers of the good news of Jesus Christ. The world needs this desperately. And it's not going to happen by you yelling at the world. It's going to happen by you loving the world. That's why hatred and intolerance is so un-Jesus-like. The world laughs at Christianity when we don't love each other. And they really laugh at us when we don't love them. You know what? If you were to ask most of the world why they're not Christ followers, they will tell you, because Christ followers hate me. They hate the way I live. They hate the way I behave. And they tell me that all the time. I see it in their faces and I hear it in their voices. They hate me. Something's got to change. We've got to change that. God is so faithful to us. How we bear God's love to the unlovely, how we bear God's love to the broken, how we bear God's love to the hurting, to the marginalized, to the forsaken, that is our witness to the world and our witness to Christ. Your love is your witness. And it's very, very personal. Well, how do you bear Jesus' love to those who are diseased with AIDS or divorced or experienced alternate lifestyles, who, those who have messy pasts, people who have messed up, who have fallen short, who have disappointed you, who have abused the system, who have offended your sensibilities together in community? We witness to them with the love of Jesus Christ. We reach out to them, not with a bullhorn, but with a love and a life that comes only in Jesus. There's a, an amazing passage that I want to close with. This passage is found in Isaiah 61. This was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, by the prophet Isaiah, but he was writing this on behalf of all of those who bear witness to God's love, okay? So when you read this, I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me. When you read this, I want you to pay special note of the, the word me 
And when you say the word me, think of yourself. Don't think of me, think of you, think of yourself. This is God's word. This is how we bear witness to the world that is lost and broken and hurting. Let's say this out loud together. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Together, we bear witness to God's love to each other. We witness as a community when we embrace the unembraceable, when we love the unlovely, when we give hope to the hopeless, to a lost and broken and dying world. Why do we need each other? We need each other to walk We need each other to work together. We need each other to watch out for each other. We need each other to weep together. And we need each other to witness to God's love together. That's our Ebenezer. That's our sign that says, go this way. And here's the good news. Many have gone before us. And many will follow the same path. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, um, this word comes from you. Lord, and I pray that this word, now, even now in this moment, Lord, I pray that this word would settle upon us and in us and that we would understand and recognize that we are better together, that we are called to be together. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. I pray, Father, that by your spirit, we would know that and we would live that today. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand that when we stand together shoulder to shoulder, we change the world. But when we go off on our own, we do nothing. And I pray, Father, that uh, this one small body of Christ in the world, this one group of Christ followers at 1770 North Dobson, this group of Christ followers, Father, that we would make a difference for the kingdom and that we would do it together. And so we pray these things, Lord, in the precious and the holy name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.